Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 49. Last week, I covered the history of the city of Beersheba. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week is the first part of two on the town of Hebron, as initially found in Genesis chapter 23. So let's get started. The name Hebron is thought to have originated from a Semitic language and have a meaning similar to the English word unite, or possibly friend. The proper name Hebron may have meant alliance. The word carries a similar meaning in Arabic. Hebron has a long and rich history in the Jewish religion. It was one of the first places where Abraham lived after his arrival in Canaan. Also, King David was anointed in Hebron and then reigned there for seven years. One thousand years later, during the first Jewish revolt against the Romans, the city was the scene of widespread fighting. Jews lived in Hebron almost continuously throughout the Byzantine, Arab, Mamluk, and Ottoman periods. More on those in a bit, and some of those periods will be covered next week. Hebron is the site of the oldest Jewish community in the world, which dates back to biblical times. The book of Genesis in chapter 23 records how Abraham purchased the cave of Machpelah as a burial place for his wife Sarah. In that transaction, Abraham paid the seemingly steep price of 400 shekels of silver to Ephron, the Hittite. But this was only after Ephron offered to give the land to Abraham. The actual or supposed place is now known as the Tomb of the Patriarchs. According to Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah would be buried there later. And, in one Jewish tradition, Adam and Eve are also buried there. It was none other than King Herod, around the turn of B.C. to A.D., that built the base of the present structure, a 37-foot or 12-meter-high wall over the Tomb of the Patriarchs. Other well-known figures in Jewish history are interred in the city. These include the tombs of Othniel ben Kenza, who was the first judge of Israel, also Avner ben Ner, who was a general and confidant to both King Saul and David. Finally, Ruth, David's great-grandmother, and Jesse, his father, are interred there. In the text of the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 13 shows how the then-Canaanite city was founded seven years before the Egyptian town of Zon. This would place its founding sometime around 1720 B.C. Also, the city was located at Tel Rumidia. Hebron is said to have been taken from the Canaanites by either Joshua or the tribe of Judah or Caleb. Whoever did it, they are said to have killed all of its previous inhabitants. The town itself, with some nearby pasture land, is then said to have been granted to the Levites of the clan of Kohath, while the fields of the city, as well as its surrounding villages, were assigned to Caleb. Caleb then expelled the three brothers, Shishiah, Aiman, and Talmai, who ruled the city. In some interpretations, these three brothers are giants. Foreshadowing? Maybe. Overall, Hebron is mentioned 87 times in the Bible. Joshua allocated Hebron to Caleb from the tribe of Judah in Joshua chapter 14. Then the tribe of Judah conquered the city and the surrounding area in Judges chapter 1. Joshua chapter 14 verse 15 notes the former name of Hebron was Kiryat Arba. Following King Saul's death, 
God instructed David to go to Hebron, where he was anointed king of Judah in 2 Samuel chapter 2. About eight years later, David was anointed king of all of Israel, also occurring in Hebron, and found in 2 Samuel chapter 5. It was in Hebron again that Absalom had himself declared king and then raised a revolt against his father David. Later, Hebron became one of the principal centers of the tribe of Judah and was classified as one of the six traditional cities of refuge. A city of refuge was a place where an accused perpetrator of manslaughter could claim the right of asylum. In the Priestly Code, the regulations concerning the cities of refuge state that, once he had claimed asylum, a perpetrator had to be taken from the city and put on trial. If, in the trial, he was found innocent, then the cleared perpetrator had to be returned under guard for his own protection to the city in which he had claimed asylum. Some researchers, owing to uncovered artifacts, consider Hebron to be the second most important Judean city after Jerusalem. It lay at an important economic crossroads between the Dead Sea to the east, Jerusalem to the north, the Negev and Egypt to the south, and the coastal plain to the west. This placed it along important trade routes. Despite this, it remained administratively and politically dependent on Jerusalem during the biblical period. The city was initially part of the United Israel, then the southern kingdom of Judah, until the southern kingdom was conquered by the Babylonians in 586 BC. However, even with the forfeiture of Jewish independence, Jews continued to live in Hebron, as seen in Nehemiah chapter 11. But what about the known history outside of the Old Testament? Archaeological excavations reveal traces of substantial forts, maybe even citadels, which date to the early Bronze Age. These earthworks cover some six plus acres, which is close to three hectares, or about four U.S. football fields. These were centered around Tel Remedia. The city is thought to have flourished in the 18th and 17th centuries BC, but then it was apparently destroyed by fire to be resettled in the Middle Bronze Age. The ancient Hebron was apparently a royal Canaanite city of some sort. According to Genesis 23, it was also a Hittite-controlled area. Some researchers have speculated that Hebron may have been the capital of Shuwardada, of Goth. Shuwardada was the author of eight of the previously covered Armana letters to the Egyptian pharaoh. But curiously, the Hebron hills were almost completely lacking settlements in the Late Bronze Age, or maybe we have yet to find them. Other researchers theorize that the people of the early Hebron were largely nomadic, and may also reflect a Kenite element. This is based on the theory that the nomadic Kenites are said to have long occupied the city. Also, the word Heber is the name of a Kenite clan. Later, in the biblical narrative of the Hebrew conquest, Hebron was one of two areas under Canaanite control. These areas were ruled by the three sons of Anak. Could these also have been the three expelled giants? This may reflect some Kenite or Kenzanite migration from the Negev to Hebron. In fact, or at least in theory, some words related to the Kenzanites appear to be close to the language of the Hurrians, suggesting that embedded in the Akinim legend may be some sort of early Hurrian population. In the Table of Nations, they are represented as the descendants of the Nephilim. The Book of Genesis also states that the city was formerly called Kerjath Arabah, 
meaning the city of four, perhaps referring to the four pairs or couples who are buried there, or the four tribes, or maybe the four quarters, four hills, or a confederated settlement of four families. Whichever way, certainly four of something. As seen in the Old Testament, after the destruction of the first temple, most of the Jewish inhabitants of Hebron were exiled. Some archaeologists believe that during the 5th and 4th centuries BC, there was an Edomite presence in the city. This was at the same time that the area was an Achaemenid province. After Alexander the Great's victory over the area, like the other regional cities I've covered, Hebron was brought under Greek control. During the Maccabean Revolt, Hebron was burnt and plundered by Judah Maccabee, who fought against the Edomites in 167 BC. Just after that, the city appears to have resisted Hasmonean dominance. The Hasmoneans were the ruling dynasty of Judea and surrounding regions during the Classical period. Between about 140 and 116 BC, the dynasty ruled, essentially semi-autonomously, from the Seleucids in the region of Judea. Beginning about 110 BC, the Seleucid Empire was in the state of rapid decline and the Hasmonean dynasty pretty much became fully independent. In fact, they expanded in the neighboring regions of Samaria, Galilee, Eturia, Perea, and Indumea. They also then became known as the Basilis. More on them in a future episode. The current location of the city of Hebron was settled in the valley downhill from Telramidia, no later than the Roman era. During the first war against the Romans, Hebron was captured and plundered by Simon bar Gioria, considered to be an upstart farm worker, but also the leader of a rebellious faction. According to the known history, this rebellion was bloodless, but given the reputation of the Romans, it certainly was not gutless. Then, well, a very short time later, Hebron was conquered by Vespasian's officer Sextus Vetulinus Cerilius. Adding insult to his victory, Cerilius referred to Hebron as, quote, a little town. Josephus documented the victory as Cerilius having slew all he found there, young and old, and burnt down the town, end quote. Well, burnt down a little town. Finally, at least for the Roman era, after the defeat of Simon bar Kakaba in 135 AD, an unknown number of Jewish inhabitants were put to slavery at Hebron's Terebinth slave market. Next, the city was part of the Byzantine Empire, this time organized into their Palestinia Prima province. The Byzantine Emperor Justinian I built a Christian church over the cave of Mapilia in the 6th century AD. This church was later destroyed by the Sassanid general Shara Baraz in 614, when Kushiruz II's armies conquered Jerusalem. After this defeat, Jews were not permitted to live in Hebron under Byzantine rule. While the region was controlled by the Sassanian Empire from about 602 to 628 AD, the town was spared by the Persians in deference to the Jewish population. The current thinking is that the Persians allowed the Jewish population a certain degree of freedom as they frequently served in the Persian army. The historical record shows that Hebron was one of the last cities of the region to fall to the Islamic invasion in the 7th century, but the reasons for this are somewhat murky. 
Also, this may be an explanation as to why Hebron is not mentioned in any traditions of the Islamic conquest. After Hebron's defeat, Caliph Omar ibn al-Khattab permitted Jewish people to return and to construct a small synagogue. But, when the Rashidin Caliphate established control over Hebron in 638, they set about converting the Byzantine church at the site of Abraham's tomb to a mosque. But Hebron was not alone in this, as many churches of the region suffered the same fate. During this period, a Catholic bishop named Arkhof, who visited the city during the Islamic Umayyad rule, described the city as unfortified and poor. A little town. In his writings, he also mentioned convoys of camels carrying firewood from Hebron to Jerusalem. This implies not only that there were trees to be cut down, but there was a presence of Arab nomads in the region at that time. Arkhof lived in the latter 7th century AD. He was a Frankish bishop who toured the Levant around 680. According to a history of the Church of England, Arkhof was shipwrecked on the shore of the island of Iona, Scotland, on his return from his pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He then resided in the island's monastery from 679 to 704, a 25-year stranding due to a shipwreck. During this time, he gave a detailed narrative of his travels. From this narrative emerged a descriptive work in three books dealing with Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and other places in Palestine, and also briefer descriptions of Alexandria and Constantinople. But back to Hebron. An Islamic geographer from Jerusalem named Al-Muk ad-Dasi wrote in 985 that Hebron is the village of Abraham. Within it is a strong fortress, being of enormous squared stones. In the middle of this stands a dome of stone, built in Islamic times, over the sepulcher of Abraham. The tomb of Isaac lies forward in the main building of the mosque, the tomb of Jacob to the rear. Facing each prophet lies his wife. The enclosure has been converted into a mosque, and built around it are rest houses for the pilgrims, so that they may adjoin the main edifice on all sides. A small water conduit has been conducted to them. All the countryside round this town, for about half a stage, whatever that is, has villages in every direction, with vineyards and grounds producing grapes and apples called Jabal Nahara being fruit of unsurpassed excellence. Much of this fruit is dried and sent to Egypt. And Hebron is a public guesthouse continuously open, with a cook, a baker, and servants in regular attendance. They offer a dish of lentils and olive oil to every poor person who arrives, and it is set before the rich too, should they wish to partake. Most men express the opinion that this is a continuation of the guesthouse of Abraham, However, it is, in fact, from the bequest of Taman al-Dari and others. The Emir of Khorasan has assigned to this charity 1,000 dirhams yearly, and al-Shair al-Dil bestowed on it a substantial bequest. At present time, I do not know in all of the realm of al-Islam any house of hospitality and charity more excellent than this one. End quote. During Islamic control, Hebron became an important stopping point on the caravan trading route from Egypt, and, like Damascus, it served as a way station for pilgrims making the yearly Hajj to Mecca. In fact, a custom that became known as the Table of Abraham 
which appears to be similar to the previously mentioned guest house of Abraham, was established as a way for the residents to show hospitality to the pilgrims. The Persian traveler Nasir al-Khursra visited Hebron in 1047. Afterwards, he recorded that, This sanctuary has belonging to it very many villages that provide revenues for pious purposes. At one of these villages is a spring where water flows out from under a stone, but in no great abundance. And it is conducted by a channel cut in the ground to a place outside the town of Hebron, where they have constructed a covered tank for collecting the water. The sanctuary stands on the southern border of the town. It is enclosed by four walls. The Myrub, which is a niche, and the Makshura, which is an enclosed space for Friday prayers, stand in the width of the building at the south end. In the Makshura are many fine Murabs. He further recorded that they grow in Hebron for the most part barley, wheat being rare, but olives are in abundance. The visitors are given bread and olives. There are very many mills here, worked by oxen and mules, that all day long grind the flour. And further, there are working girls who, during the whole day, are baking bread. The loaves are said to weigh 3 pounds or about 1.4 kilograms. My words. Back to him. And to every person who arrives, they are given a daily loaf of bread, and a dish of lentils cooked in olive oil, also some raisins. There are some days when as many as 500 pilgrims arrive, to each of whom this hospitality is offered." This tradition was apparently similar to what other towns on the pilgrimage route did as well. During the Islamic period, trade greatly expanded, and especially so with the Bedouins in the Negev and also the population to the east of the Dead Sea. Further, they seemed skilled in practical trades. According to one source, Jews from Hebron and Tyre founded the Venetian, meaning Italian, glass industry in the 9th century. But overall, the town was probably not very notable before the 10th century, as it did not warrant many mentions in the Muslim literature of the time. Jewish documents from this period refer only to the graves of the patriarchs, but do secondarily show there was an organized Jewish community in Hebron. This community had a synagogue near the tombs and were occupied with accommodating Jewish pilgrims and merchants. The Islamic control of Hebron lasted until 1099 when the Christian crusader Godfrey de Bouillon took Hebron and rechristened it Castilian Saint Abraham. Even if you don't speak his language, you can probably figure out what that means, assuming you understand my accent. At that time, the city was chosen to be the capital of the southern district of the Crusaders, but it was really not more than a Frankish outpost for the Kingdom of Jerusalem, and as such, its defensive systems and troops were little more than an island in a Muslim ocean, to quote a writer from the time. The Crusaders converted the mosque, as well as the synagogue, into churches. In 1106, an Islamic Egyptian campaign pushed into southern Palestine and almost succeeded the following year in seizing Hebron back from the Crusaders. Almost. But a crusader known as Baldwin I of Jerusalem personally led the countercharge to drive off the Muslim army. Then, in 1113, while Baldwin II reigned, at least according to Ali of Harat, writing some 60 years later, a certain part of the Cave of Abraham had given way 
and a number of Franks had made their entrance therein. Again, according to Ali, when they entered the cave, they discovered the bodies of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their shrouds had fallen to pieces, lying propped up against a wall. Then the king, after providing new shrouds, caused the place to be closed once more. If true, that must have been an indescribable sight, especially considering it would have been seen by flickering lantern. Similar information is given in Ibn at Atter's Chronicle in the year 1119. He wrote, In this year was opened the tomb of Abraham, and those of his two sons Isaac and Jacob. Many people saw the patriarch. Their limbs had nowise been disturbed, and beside them were placed lamps of gold and of silver. Finally, the nobleman and historian Ibn al-Khalanasi, who hailed from Damascus, recorded that the discovery of relics purported to be those of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob elicited much interest in all three communities in Palestine, and these three communities were the descendants of Abraham, the Muslims, Jews, and Christians. With the rule of the Crusaders, Hebron was handed over to Philip of Milly in 1161 and joined with the Signory of Transjordan. Then, in 1168, a new cathedral was constructed, the Church of St. Abraham, built in the southern part of the Haram. In 1170, Benjamin of Tudela visited the city, which he called by its Frankish name, St. Abram de Bron. He indicated that in Hebron, there is the great church called St. Abram, and this was a Jewish place of worship at the time of Hamanian rule, but the Gentiles have erected there six tombs, respectively called those of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah. The custodians tell the pilgrims that these are the tombs of the patriarchs, for which information the pilgrims give them money. If a Jew comes, however, and gives a special reward, the custodian of the cave opens unto him a gate of iron, which was constructed by our forefathers, and then he is able to descend below by means of steps, holding a lighted candle in his hand, and then reaches a cave in which nothing is to be found and a cave beyond, which is likewise empty. But when he reaches the third cave, behold, there are six sepulchres, those of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, respectively facing those of Sarah, Rebekah, and Leah. Now, Benjamin of Tudelah was a medieval Jewish traveler who visited Europe, Asia, and Africa in the 12th century AD. His vivid descriptions of Western Asia preceded those of Marco Polo by about 100 years. With his broad education and vast knowledge of languages, Benjamin of Tudela is a major figure in medieval geography and Jewish history. A map of his travels will be posted on the podcast Facebook page. And that is the first part of the history of the town of Hebron in the episode for this week. Join me next week when I'll wrap up Hebron. You don't want to miss it. This week, I hope you will go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast from and leave a positive review. I know, I know, I've made this request several times and trust that more of you will take me up on it, at least sooner or later, and if enough of you do, maybe I'll stop making the request. But also, doing so helps others to find the podcast. As always, you can find information about this podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. 
And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.